That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alienation, the Newcomer Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Kenny, and joining me as usual is my wonderful brother, Michael. Michael? Hmm. Seems to be missing at the moment, but luckily my good friend Doug stopped by, so he'll be joining me to review this episode. Hi, Doug. Hey, Kenny. How's it going? I'm doing very well, thank you, and thanks for subbing in for my brother. So why don't you tell our listeners why you enjoy Alienation? Well, it started back in around 88, I think it was, when the original movie came out with James Caan mm-hmm. uh, and Mandy Patinkin, both of whom I really like. Uh, it was a very it was a very dark, noir kind of movie, detective movie. Um, and then when the show came out, started watching that. Obviously a very different movie. Yes, they were going for more... Completely. Uh, a lethal weapon in space kind of show. Yeah. Um, but it had its own kind of groove, and it was a lot of fun. It was a buddy cop show, but a little bit different. Yeah. So I really liked it. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, today we're going to be discussing from Season 1, Episode 20, Gimme Gimme. It originally aired on April 9th, 1990. The director was David Carson, and the writers were Diane Frolove and Andrew Schneider. Nunit was first manufactured over a decade ago aboard the newcomer slave ship. Its incredible durability far surpasses any human synthesized fabric, whether it be cellulose, petroleum, or polymer-based. The fibers are so strong, the weaves so dense, that Nunit cannot be cut by traditional means. At the factory, we use lasers. This same fiber strength and density of weave gives Nunit a truly out-of-this-world stain resistance. Just take a look at this. Even this commercial motor oil can't soak in. It simply rinses off clean. (laughs) Nunit is a tremendous gift of Tenkanese technology. We humans owe a great debt to my partner who reconstructed the process bringing this amazing fabric to us. Mr. Edgar Allan Poe. And the episode summary is, uh, after George invests his money in a new revolutionary fabric, Nunit, one of the creators of the fabric is murdered. Matt and George investigate the crime and discover some disturbing information about the company. George also discovers that the company has a connection with another member of his family. Matt sells Albert one of his scratch-off lottery tickets, and Albert wins the big prize. Albert shares his wealth with Matt and Matt learns sometimes it is better when your dreams do not come true. That must be fun. <sighs> Damn. Every day you buy three of these tickets and, and scratch the aluminum off. Three's a lucky number, Albert. So, so that's why you do it, because it's fun. No, you win money. See, three pineapples in a row, that's 25000 Just for scratching off some aluminum? That's a lot of money. I could buy so many trees. Trees? You buy trees? For the city. The city needs more trees. No, Albert. The idea is you win money, and then you buy something you really like. Something you couldn't afford. Something really great, like like a car. All right, as our stars go, we have the usual Terry Treehouse as Kathy Frankel. Eric Pierpoint as Detective George Francisco. Ron Fazler as Captain Brian Grazer. Gary Graham as Detective Matt Sykes. And I know this is one of Doug's favorite, Michelle Scarabelli as oh. Susan Francisco. Oh, yes. Yes, she <laughs> is a cutie. Uh, Lauren Woodland as Emily Francisco. Sean Six as Buck Francisco. And the remarkable Jeff Marcus um, as Albert Einstein. Yes, he's one of my favorites. Love him. The guest cast, Alan Fudge as Sergeant Phil. We have B.G. Barkett as EPA official. Kim Braden as Marilyn Houston. Armin Shermanman as Cyril Roman. Uh, David Selberg as Edgar Allan Poe. Beverly Leach as Rita Allan Poe. Michael Zand as Mr. Elias. Bob Miner as Cop. Lance E. Nichols as the Delivery Man. Stephen Hart as Thug. Joseph Kelly as Lee Smith. And Michelle Lamar Richards as Lois Allen. Good morning. Hey. Morning, George. 
George, that is a very nice vest. <laughs> Why, thank you, Albert. <laughs> oh, man, does it glow in the dark? <laughs> hmm. What's this? Ketchup. Is this some new alien thing? I'm glad you asked. As you can see, my new knit vest is incredibly stain resistant. New knit? Yes, a gift of Tanktonese technology which is now being synthesized here in Los Angeles. Susan and I have just become limited partners. It's a very sound investment. Hmm. I got your sound investment. <laughs> now that is nothing but an extravagant fantasy. In the year I've known you, you've spent over $750 on lottery tickets. Hey, I won 25 bucks last month, okay? You just wait and see, George. I've got that. All right, so let's go ahead and discuss this episode. Uh, let's just talk about general overall. What did you think of the episode? Um, I thought it was a good, solid episode. Again, um, Kenneth Johnson, uh, when he was approached about doing this show, was approached by the network to do a straight-up buddy cop show. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I want to use this to uh, and use the newcomers as a vehicle to discuss uh, social issues of the yes, day. which is what it's known for, really. Uh, yeah, and I think this episode goes a lot into um, organized labor, mm -hmm. labor issues, exploitation of factory workers, which back in 89 was a big thing, if you remember a lot of the Walmart issues that yep. were coming up. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Okay, normally my brother and I, we give a 1 to 10 rating. What would you give it? Um, I would give this about an 8. Oh, good. That's about what I would... Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've given anything less than a seven because I do love all the episodes. But yeah, it was definitely uh, a really good episode. A little bit above than Norm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the episode. It starts off with, uh, we see the Franciscos, uh, Susan and George. They are um, at some sort of uh, sales pitch. Yeah. Uh, They're in like the caves of Tankton somewhere. It's yeah, a weird... it's like a, a premiere event for yeah. this new fabric Um and and there's a very awkward scene with two models yeah. displaying this new fabric, and and uh, uh, somebody you know to demonstrate how great this thing is, somebody spills some motor oil on the Tank Denise newcomer yeah. model, and she just looked really. Yeah, I was waiting for the other one to wipe it off, but she doesn't. She actually sprays it off with water. Yeah. Um. So so that was that was uncomfortable. But, I guess, <laughs> um, the, but they proved her point. Exactly. The material is stainproof, and and you know, as we later find out, also bulletproof and a yeah. bunch of other things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then we have George and Susan discussing if they're going to invest it or not. What do you think? Two thousand dollars? That's nothing, George. Let's invest five or ten. Susan, we don't have that kind of money. George, I'm working now. We have ten thousand dollars in that money market account, just sitting there at six percent. They're talking forty percent. Hmm. If we did invest, say, uh, 4000 we'd have a return of uh, 1600 mm -hmm. If we invested 7000 that would be a return of 2800 the first year. Roll that over, in three years, we'd have almost $11,000. Let's invest all 10. Okay. <laughs> um, which was a cute scene, because, you know, George was reserved at first, and Susan was more gung-ho, and then George wound up going... Yeah, and and again, um, I think uh, there was sort of an exaggerated aspect to this, where they were using the num newcomers and a fish out of water kind mm -hmm. of thing to talk about you know how people get a caught up in investment schemes and you the do. war of capitalism. Yep. And yep, it sounds it sounds so. It's I mean they say you know it's too good to be true. It probably is too good to be true. But this is what the situation is. It just sounds forty percent return in a year. Nothing ever gives you a forty percent return in one year. Yeah, except certain pyramid schemes. And we well, know yes, how they, they <laughs> yes. Work. They only work for the people at the very top. Yeah. Um, so I mean, so they invest ten thousand dollars, and then we go to uh, the precinct where uh, there's actually like three storylines going on. There's the the new knit with George buying, you know, investing and investigating all that stuff that's going on with them. Then you have Matt with the whole lottery thing, the car. And then you have like a, I guess it's kind of a third C story, but it's actually attached to the A story is Buck and his teacher. Right. Know, the, the, whole, the whole organized labor. Story yeah. Line. Yeah. And it's all kind of interconnected and woven. I guess the, the car one really isn't, but it is. It's still the same theme I, I, as the other one. I think overall this, this episode is a lot about um, can money buy happiness and, yes. and what form yeah. will the real happiness come from? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so anyways, just wanted to throw that out there. But let's go back to – so we're at the precinct. Uh, Matt is scratching away at the lottery tickets and uh, unfortunately not winning. And we find out he spent like, I don't know, $750 in the past year buying three lottery tickets a day, I guess it, it would have to be, to make that much. But hey, he did make 25 bucks back last week. He month. did, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah, so, but then Albert's there, and Albert's, he's a little naive. But he, he's kind of the simpleton character um, that uh, always manages to point out the foibles of the so-called more superior characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I enjoy him. The actor uh, always does a wonderful job yeah, in this series. I really, really like him. But he's all excited. I mean, he, it's funny because, I mean, I think uh, Matt's like scratching a lottery ticket. And- a pineapple. A peach. And a banana. Where'd you win? Nothing, Albert. Nothing at all. But Albert's just clapping and thinks the greatest thing in the world. Just the just the scratching <laughs> off part. It doesn't matter whether you win or no, not. Just scratching it. The is... anticipation. So he wants to do one, and Matt has a third one because he always buys three. So he has a third one, and he sells it to Albert. And he kind of looks at George, and he's like, hey, I made a dollar off it, which is kind of stupid because he paid a dollar for it, so he really didn't make any money off of it. But So Albert gets it, and he saw, uh, scratches the first one as pineapple. Scratches the second one as pineapple. And then the best <laughs> bit in the entire show. <laughs> one pineapple. Two pineapples. <laughs> what are you doing? Go on. This is fun. I'm going to save the rest for later. Yep. And it totally blows Sykes away because yep. Sykes wants the immediate the gratification. The look on his face is just so good. Um, it's but so it's hilarious. classic Albert. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But come to find out later on in that episode, he actually won. He got the three pineapples. And naturally, you know, when Matt finds out about this, he's, he's a little bitter. He's just a little just bit a little. bitter. Yeah. Um, but uh, then he gets a surprise from Albert. Yes. Well, going back to Matt, Matt's the whole thing is, you know, because when the series started, he was so, you people, you people, you know, as he was very, I mean, he was, he was racist, you know, about the aliens. And as he has grown over the year and he's grown the most of any of the characters, he kind of developed back into that you people again when, you know, you know, you guys, you people are always lucky or you people, you know, even, even, uh, George brought it up, and you know he like said you people, you know. But I mean, I know Matt didn't mean it, but he he can still fall back into that. Well, yeah, and the the, the build up to this whole thing was that um, uh, when before he sells the ticket to Albert, or just about the same time, he's looking at this beautiful yes. vintage Corvette, yeah. and telling Albert this is happiness. Yes, this this is the meaning of happiness is is owning this car. Albert, you know what that is. That is happiness. A 63 split window vet. 340 horsepower, four speed pull, posi traction, zero to 60 in seven seconds. <laughs> but it's more than that, Albert. The, the car is fine. Fine. <laughs> and then he finds out that Albert's got the three pineapples and he won the ticket. And yep. Albert comes back and blows everybody away. Yep, because he takes uh, George and Matt out to the parking lot. Sergeant Sykes, I have a surprise. I bought you something. What? Eucalyptus? Douglas fir? It's outside. (laughs) That is your surprise. Oh, Albert. It was a very foolish way to spend your money. You could have invested in new nets. Well, I'll, I'll win again. That lottery's easy. Albert, why? Why'd you do it? Well, you always seem so, so discontented. I wanted you to be happy. So, is it fine? <laughs> it is so fine. You are not going to accept this, Matthew. He has to accept it. I bought it for him. Yeah. He bought it for me. I have to accept it. So you're happy now. Oh, man, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm going to take it for a spin. Once again, Albert is, you know, the by far the superior yes. 
person. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, George is saying you can't do it. Matt, you can't accept it. And Albert's like, but I gave it to him. It made me happy. It's making him happy. You know, he's going to accept it. And, of course, Matt's going to accept it. Oh, of for course. For a time being. Yeah. <laughs> So back to the, to the main story, we find out um, that, uh, you know, uh, as Doug mentioned earlier, there's a scuffle with one of the, one of the criminals who gets away from a cop and uh, takes a pair of scissors and stabs George. Uh, but luckily he's wearing his new knit free vest that was given to him. His glow-in-the-dark, batteries <laughs> not needed, uh, very strange fashion, fashion accessory new knit vest. Yes. Um and, I mean, he's astonished. You know, he's bruised, but he, it didn't penetrate. There's no hole, no nothing. And that actually gets Brian Grazer's attention. And he decides to invest money into it because there's a miracle fabric that can, you know, not be harmed by anything. But uh, George wants to go to the factory and personally thank them, you know, for saving his life. So when they get there, uh, you hear this woman arguing in uh, the office. And lo and behold, you hear another familiar voice. Workers here don't need a union. They don't want a union. Then why do you object to giving them a choice? You don't work here. You don't understand the situation. We understand basic needs. We understand dignity. I know your group. You come here to stir up trouble. And I'm not going to let that happen. Now get out of here. Both of you. Now. Fine. If that's management's position, we're going to go talk to the workers. And it sounds like these are your own people. How could you do this to them? Out. Out. Get out now. Dad. Which is Buck. Yeah. Uh, arguing with Edgar Allan Poe, the. Um, yeah, I guess uh, he's the creator. Pr- creator of the fabric. Yeah. Pre- yeah. One of the founders of yeah. the company. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they're arguing. The door opens. George and Buck have you know, make eye contact. Oh, what are you doing here? You know, don't you have school? And it's kind of an awkward moment. Uh, I, I still think the teacher did wrong by taking Buck. There and and just to back up a second, there yeah. there was an earlier scene in the kitchen at home that kind of set, um, uh, foreshadowed uh, the scene in the office where uh, George right. and Susan are talking about uh, the fabric, and Buck basically tells them they're sellouts for investing yes. because this company is exploiting newcomer labor, yep. and the working conditions are horrible, and it's a sweatshop, and yeah, all that. Kind that's of thing. right. What did you guys decide? The best thing for our future. And how is our little vest now? You invested, didn't you? A little. Dixakik don't vote. They're taking advantage of unskilled Tectonese workers who have to put in double shifts at minimum wage with no overtime pay. Buck, you don't know that. No, Marilyn says the new knit workers have no health care, no benefits. Marilyn? Who's Marilyn? My American history teacher. See, we're studying the labor movement. You call your teacher by the first name? Marilyn's not into any kind of power trip. Marilyn says Nunit is exploiting its Tectonese workers. Well, if she is so smart, why don't you ask this Marilyn where these exploited workers would be without Nunit? No, no, I will tell you where. Unemployed, that's where. Naak Gintup Vesna Ot B. What are they teaching kids in school these days? Nemo, calm down. And that's what leads to that other scene there. And then we find out that it's the teacher that's technically filling his head with all these ideas. They're not not wrong. I'm just, you know. No, but it, it's, it also seems that there, there's more to the relationship between Buck and the teacher than... Which we do find out later in future episodes. Oh, but, so. but yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it, was, it was just a weird, awkward situation because, I mean, a teacher should not be taking a student out of class. No, not... And, and especially know. not for something that's politically motivated. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although back in back in my day, we went out and did student protests. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, so yeah, so that that kind of that scene ends. Uh, George thanks the guys. He walks. He you know they want to check out because you know uh, Buck says you know it's a sweatshop. They're it's horrible working conditions. So George wants to go check it out. Or at least Matt wants to go check it out. And George is like, okay, well I'll go with them. And they go into the factory. And it looks like a sweatshop. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, actually, it looks like a sweatshop would be a vacation yeah. in this place. I mean, it's it's dark, it's dank, yeah, it's um, it's very moist. Yeah, yes. And they keep showing there is like several shots of this pipe oozing black stuff out. Yeah, and and uh, you know, um, 
Matt's, you know, being flipped saying, oh, you know, I don't, this is a paradise. I don't know why anybody <laughs> would want to work Matt. here yeah. Uh, yeah. until he passes out from the fumes. Yes. And then uh, you come to find out that there's a toxic residue or leftover from the process of making this new knit that is not harmful to newcomers, but seems to be harmful to humans. Uh, which, of course, isn't said. Or, you know, no one's been told anywhere. Yeah, and and it doesn't it doesn't seem to be uh, something of any concern to the factory yeah. owners because it doesn't affect newcomers. Yes, uh, and they're the only ones that work in this shop. So you know you're you're getting a picture that this place isn't the up and up, and that Buck might be more right than they first you know thought he was. Then we um, what happens next? Oh, there's a cute scene, and I'm a huge Kathy and Matt Shipper, and they're my favorite couple. Yeah, but there's a really cute scene where he's uh, polishing his car, his brand new car. I've never seen a car like this. Is it yours? Yeah. Oh, what happened to your other one? Nothing. Then why do you need this one? Well, I don't need it. I want it. A car like this, it's better than sex. Really? That's just an expression. See, this, this car is a classic. It's a Corvette. 63 split window vent. Oh, that's old for a car. Uh, well, who wants a new one? The 96s run like dogs, all that smog control stuff. Then it must get very good gas mileage. <laughs> it gets terrible gas mileage. Then it's not economical? <laughs> you don't buy a car like this because it's economical. The economy's no fun. By the time I pay for garage space and insurance and an alarm system, this car is going to cost me a fortune. A fortune? Kathy, this is not just a car. It's a work of art. Like the Mona Lisa. Like, uh, like the Statue of Liberty. It's, it's spiritual. I have always dreamed of having this car. Now, here it is. <laughs> Come on, I'll take you for a ride. Okay. <sighs> Not many cars had bucket seats back in 63, or a cluster dash. <laughs> What was that? Oh, nothing. I just have to get used to clutch. Sounds like your U-joint went out. Oh, jeez. Matt, I don't think this is better than sex. Yeah, and again, this is another one of those great fish-out-of-water things where... Um, Kathy can't figure out yeah. the value of buying an old car. Yes. She starts asking him, yeah. is it gas efficient? Oh, hell no. It, <laughs> it drinks gas like crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's cute. Yeah, she's like, you know, oh, I'm sorry, your first car. And she's like, no, no, this, I just want this car. And she just doesn't get the concept. You know, he's like, it's better than sex. And the look on her face is priceless. He's like, no, no, it's just a figure of speech. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, I like how they use the aliens that way. To, yeah. to really look at ourselves. Yeah, and ba basically, you know, she just cannot uh, understand why uh, this old uh, consumer item is held up with such iconic yeah. value by yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and then they go for a ride, and they go about, I don't know, two feet, and uh, you hear this big break, and Kathy says, oh, I think you're U-bent? I think it's a U-bent. Yeah, something, something. But it was, it was, it was great. It's like, you know, here she is knowing exactly what broke in oh, the yeah. car. Without, you know, <laughs> she just hears it and she knows what broke. And of course, the very last line of that scene is, "I don't think this is better than sex." <laughs> you know, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's the only Kathy we got in this episode, but it was a fun little scene with her. No, and it, and it's a prelude to 
a whole bunch of ongoing oh, yeah. uh, car troubles that Matt has, and this thing quickly turns into a money pit. Yes. Um, yes. But it sounds like he knew that going into it. Or at least not the money pit, but he knew that the insurance was going to be high. He knew that, because he even tells Kathy, he's like, you know, by the time I get in a garage, by the time I insure it, you know, I'm going to be paying through the nose for this. And she still doesn't understand, like, well, then why are you buying it if it's going to cost all this money? And And the answer is... It doesn't make any yeah. sense, but yeah. to him it does. To him it does. Yeah, to him it's perfectly. This is what we do when we want nice things, you know. Um, then we have a scene with uh, Edgar Allan Poe, who is taking a dive into a pool, uh, and unfortunately, uh, he starts boiling once he jumps in. Someone uh, puts sea salt. What do we have? Homicide. Somebody poured sea salt in the water. For a newcomer, that's like jumping into a pool of acid. Uh, but of course you'd know that. Yes. The tissue destruction indicates the body had been in the water for two hours, so I'd set the time of death at about 3 p.m. wonder if these are new knit. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> any idea of when the salt was introduced? Alan Poe's wife said he swam twice a day in the morning and when he got home from work, so it had to have been between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Sea salt's very yeah. toxic to the newcomers. Oh, yeah. Any, like yeah, any kind of... Yeah, other than Uncle Muji, because there was in that episode early on, and I think it was episode... Four or five where Uncle Muji actually walked into the, the ocean. And he, he made a comment about like mind over matter type of... Has the episode with the Russian roulette... Yeah. Yeah, that was, to me, the most terrifying. Because uh, it, it really brought back a lot of yeah. deer hunter memories. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah definitely. Um, so he unfortunately passes away. And then the investigation starts on to see who killed him. His cheating wife, which I knew his wife was cheating. I mean, they have a moment at the very first scene with Lee... Uh, he gives a look to the wife when they're presenting, and I knew something was going on between those two. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I gotta say, um, this was the one weak part of the episode, um, and, and I don't think I'm giving up any spoilers. But the minute I saw Armin Shimmerman, <laughs> I knew he was going to be the heavy. I mean, come on, he's not getting out of this without being a bad guy of some sort. That's true. That is true. I didn't think of that though. I mean, I honestly. Because, I, I mean, I watch these, I was playing Doug, I watch these every few years. I watch the entire series over and over again. I know you haven't watched it since it originally aired. Um, but I really didn't, a lot of these, I either forgot, like, the a crucial part, because I had no idea he was it. Until probably halfway through, where it kind of dawned on me. And, you know, the thing, the thing is, back when I first saw this, this, this predates Deep Space Nine. It predates oh, yeah. Buffy. So I wouldn't have that association with Armin Shimmerman. But now I see him, I think, ah. He done it. <laughs> Very true. Um, so yeah, so uh, he unfortunately dies. The investigation happens. You know, is it the is it his human wife? Which I thought this was cool. Is that this was the, really a first the first time we saw a pairing of a human and an alien? Because I mean, we have Kathy and Matt kind of tiptoeing around things, but these actually were a married couple. Yeah, yeah, but the the thing is, I think there was another message in this. I mean, it, she was obviously. A gold digger, yes. not you know. You're right. Not she the was, perfect wife because she wound up cheating with the human. Yeah, so the other, I mean, there's a suggestion that there were other motivations for her being with Alan Poe. Yeah, uh, aside from the the real relationship that's developing between Matt and Kathy. Yes, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Um, so you know, the the affair comes out that those two are having an affair. We already knew that, like I said, from the first moment. Um, but we find out that that you know that there's all these uh, investors who had passed away before they made the investment, and and George can't figure it out. And then they do um, they find the company. I guess all the investments are coming from the same company, and they do a check on the company to see. And you look at the owner, the you know president, the co-president. They're all the same person, and it's obviously what Doug mentioned. It's surreal Roman, so that's Armin Sherman's character. And you find out he's the bad guy. Um, and then they go to, you know, uh, they go to, oh, no, I forgot about a whole scene with the whole truck. Jack Knife goes to the shutdown. So, sorry, we're all over the place. Sometimes it's, things pop into my head as we go. So, <laughs> And there was actually actually one scene that, that gets back to the um, uh, money and happiness thing. Yeah. The, there's a whole sub story in here about the the... 
repairs to the car, running so much money that Matt oh, needs to right. think about getting a second job. Yes. And he goes to this factory where one of his buddies is, is working a second yeah, a fellow job. fellow cop, yeah. Um, and at the same time, uh, Susan's running up massive credit card bills, getting a recliner chair for George. Those are a big giant wheel for Vesna. And, and yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and um, uh, at one point, you know, um, Susan saying, but, but these are all great things to have. And George turns around and says, where is that year old milk? Uh, um, the nursery's the first door on your left. Right. Watch the credenza. What is that? Oh, hi, George. Uh, that's Vesna's Adiash wheel. Oh. Uh, Susan, how much did it cost? Oh, uh, $700. $700. Well, there was a cheaper one, but it had a plastic frame. Uh, leave the door open. We'll be right in with the chair. Chair? Um, what chair? It was going to be a surprise. You know that vibrating lazy boy you've been wanting? Susan, that chair costs over $2,000. Well, you deserve it, Ning. Well, anyway, we can afford it. Where is that year old milk? <laughs> Which is is the best way of driving someone to drink? I, yes, you know, yes, yes. Because the newcomers yes. get high on um, spoiled spo- milk. That's right. I couldn't imagine a year old milk. I don't even know if it pour out. It would. I mean, but is that is that like twelve year old scotch? I would them? hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. I mean, it would have to be. The more sour, the more bitter. I don't know. But um, yeah, so yeah, so we do have that little. That's another little like side scene in there. Uh, Matt decides not to get the second job um, because he gets a call and there's a spill, uh, an oil. Oh, there's a, a vehicle that got in a jackknife and toxic waste is coming out. And you find out, you know, because Matt, because he smelled it before, he once he gets on scene, he automatically knows that smell that that's from Nunit. Yeah, and so so we're getting the message now that okay, they're they're doing some illegal dumping, yes. they've sweatshop conditions. Which we makes know. sense. It makes sense. If you're a sweatshop, then you're more than likely doing something else illegal. Yeah. But this is just kind of pegging the meter at the wrong end of the moral spectrum as yeah. far as the company is concerned and yeah. leaving no And doubt. you know, and, and back in the day, I mean, we still have the issue now with with toxic dumping constantly and sweatshops. They're still happening even today. So, I mean, that's what I love about alienation is that, not to sidetrack, but that it's so relevant even 20 years later yeah, a from lot when of, it originally aired. A lot of these issues, uh, I, I know uh, I've been working in the visual effects industry for a long time, uh, organized labor unions uh, and a lot of the conditions that VFX workers are facing, not only here but in other countries, are a very big issue right now. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this episode still applies today. Yeah, which is crazy. That I mean, I guess it's good and it's bad because it's sad that those issues are still around. Even you know, well, this was ninety, so twenty years later, that yeah. they're still they're still. I mean, they haven't changed at all. You could take this episode, play it now, and it would still play because it's all relevant still. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so we find out that these guys are bad. They go to close down Nunit. There's a newcomer there talking in English and in Tanktonese, uh, telling him that they shut down. And you see uh, Armin Shermanman's character, Roman, is quickly, you know, gathering up papers and stuff from a safe. Uh, George and Matt get there. Uh, of course, you know, you already know that Matt can't go into the facility because of the toxic fumes. And you have George going in there by himself, and somehow his super alien hearing doesn't work properly, and he goes off in the wrong direction. And uh, Roman turns on two different toxic wastes, and when they combine, they combust into fire. And knocks out George, breaks a window, gets out, Matt catches him, says, where's George? And obviously Matt has to go back in and save his partner, even though he may die. And then you have... uh, which is funny because Matt gets in there, finds George, makes it just to the window, and then passes out. Collapses again. And George finally comes to, pulls Matt, and pushes him through the window, and everybody survives and is happy. You know, and this is this is bringing their relationship um, almost full circle from Matt not being able to deal with the concept of having uh, a newcomer partner mm-hmm. in the in the first episode. Yeah. Um to these guys really being close at oh, this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their relationships have really grown over the season. Cuz I mean, we're almost done with season 1. So their relationships have really grown over the over the time. Um and there was another scene that I wanted to mention really quick was when they go to investigate the teacher. 
because she is involved in this situation because she's a protest, you know, she's protesting the sweatshop conditions. And Buck is there. Ms. Houston. Dad. Buck. You need to talk to your teacher. Okay, go ahead. Kikaifenixo. What's this about? Is it Edgar Allan Poe? We're investigating his death, yeah. As an investor, isn't this conflict of interest? I am able to maintain my professional integrity. Thank you for your concern. I'm not going anywhere. Buck. No. Now, please, uh, go home. It's okay, Buck. Okay. You seem to have a great deal of influence over my son. I think he's terrific. We care about the same things. Miss Houston, uh, you believe the workers at New Knit are dissatisfied. Is there anybody you know who would have a particular grudge against Mr. Poe? Enough to kill him now. And if you consider me a suspect, I was teaching all afternoon. Well, it's reassuring to know that you spend some time at your job. Buck can annoy me sometimes, but he really annoyed me in that episode. Because it's, it's a police investigation. He's like, no, I'm going to stay here with her. Which goes to show you, like you mentioned earlier, that there's something more than just teacher-student. Yeah, I or mean, at least he's, his eyes. He, he's standing up for his girlfriend there. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, and it's his dad who's a cop, and it's a police investigator. Finally, he does leave because she says it's okay, Buck. You know, you can go. Um, I but uh, he just I don't know about activist Buck because he's the, he's done this a few times in in this during the season. You, you, well, and then you know, there's the the follow up scene, which is perfect um, with later on with Susan and George talking, and he's passionate. Sincere. Mm-hmm. He's committed. It's also a royal pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Um, yeah, so that, talking about that scene, come to find out, you know, that the investors more than likely are not going to lose their money because they're going to turn the factory in, into a plastic recycling company or facility. Maryland's group is preparing a feasibility study on converting the factory into a plastics recycling plant. Naturally, it will include a profit-sharing plan for the uh, workers. We wouldn't see a return for two years, but at least we'd still be in business. Hey, that's terrific. Maryland's great. Yes. She's the best thing since diced bread. At least with Maryland, you won't be running a sweatshop. So, I mean, in the end, it all kind of worked. Yeah, and, and well, that's, the, you know, that's kind of one of the, the, the areas where Buck works as, as a device. Um, he's basically one-upping his parents most of the time. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's absolutely right about the company. He's right about the social issues. Um, and he kind of puts the focus on them to where they turn around. And, yeah, it's going to be a longer... Uh, lead time on returning their investment, yeah. but it's a much better company that they're going to be investing in. True, yeah, and it probably it probably will go longer because we always need plastic recycling. Well, yeah, there's a well, there's the scene with the uh, mm. lieutenant uh, later on where uh, the lieutenant who is always the you know he's always the fool. Yeah, um, I mean he, captain, captain, Grey captain, Grey. right? Yeah, uh, yeah, he's 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 the fool. That's his that's his role yeah. in the show, um, and he invested, jumped on the bandwagon, thought he was going to make a quick return, a lot of money. Yep. And he's George breaks the news to him about the the recycling company, and he says, uh, uh, "Is there money in plastic?" And George points at the bottle of plastic water that the guy's drinking, drinking and yeah. says, "Yeah, hey, have another." <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it's kind of a. You know, happy ending on that part. And then we have the whole car thing with Matt. Uh, Matt comes, this is one of the last scenes, Matt comes walking in and he's all smiles and happy and and Albert and George approach him and Albert says, oh, you know, are you happy because of the car? And he's like, well, kind of. And he goes, I just want to show you, Albert. And they head outside and uh, Matt mentions that he sold the car. That's why he's so happy because he no longer has it. And you go outside and you see nothing but trucks of trees. Uh, and Albert, that's what, I don't know if we mentioned that, but that's what he wanted. He's like, you know, what would you do with $25,000 if you won? And Albert's like, you know, I'd buy trees for the city because the city needs more trees. Yeah, And, and then, Matt's like, that's just a waste of and, money. And, and, but Albert's like, but you're saying that's happiness to you, the yes. car. 
trees are happiness to me. That's yeah. that's what, what yeah. I would do. Um, so it shows in the end that Matt actually sold his car. I don't know if he spent all the money, but he purchased 10 truckloads of trees for Albert to distribute all throughout the city. And, and again, um, uh, Matt, who starts the series as this, you know, really dysfunctional, recently divorced guy, um, yeah. very turned inward. Uh, this is another lesson learned for him, another big step in his personal growth. Path. Oh, yeah. At yeah. the end of the story. Yeah, and it ends on the two buddies, George and Matt, kind of with smiles on their faces, looking at uh, Albert loving the trees. Um, so yeah, so it was a happy ending for everybody. But it does go to show you that money can't buy you, or what you think you want isn't always what you need. Yeah, ex- 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 exactly. Money can buy you happiness, but it, it may be in a very different form than yes. you initially imagined. Yeah, because it did buy... Matt happiness eventually because Albert. Well, Albert bought the car for him, and then he bought the trees for Albert. And and in giving to Albert, made him happy. Was the happiness? Yes, yeah, uh, very cool. Do you have any other notes? I see you have your pad out there. Do you have any other things you want to discuss? Uh, you know, I think we covered uh, most of it. Okay, um, it was a great episode. I enjoyed it a lot, and and uh, uh, you know. Glad I have an excuse to get the whole season on right. my iTunes library now, so right. I can and watch go back the whole and watch series. them. That's right. Very cool. Well, if it isn't Karl Marx. Hi, Dad. Surprised to find you here. Shouldn't you and Marilyn be out leading the proletarian revolution? Dad, are you still mad about today? Someone should tell Marilyn that she's supposed to teach history, not make it. Need I remind you that socialism was completely discredited in the 80s? This has nothing to do with socialism. Need I remind you that if your mother and I lose this investment, we won't be able to afford those $300 sneakers in which you champion the underclass. Well, hey, I'm not wearing leather anymore. Only cruelty-free clothes. What? Clothes no animal is killed for. Where do you think your shoes came from? See? It's all part of the same sickness. Killing animals, polluting the oceans, destroying the ozone. Maryland's turned me on to a lot of things. All right, it's time for some behind the scenes. I found a few tidbits here. I'll start us off. Uh, Diane, who is the writer of the show, original idea of the show was a lot darker. These people at the factory were newcomers who ate the dead on the ship to get rid of the waste. Everybody hated them because they were such vulgar, awful people. Now they were eating all the garbage on this planet to get rid of the waste. They kept hearing from the network, you can't do that, you can't do this, so ultimately the idea was diluted. And can I just say um, that I'm very happy that they moved away from that storyline, because, ooh, gross. I know, I read that and I'm like, oh, that would have been a really dark episode. Um, also, Armin Shimmerman, who played Roman, uh, you know, one of my favorite all-time character actors, uh, would go on to become a sci-fi and fantasy icon with his roles as Pascal in Beauty and the Beast, Principal Schneider in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and probably his most popular character, Quark the Ferengi Barkeep from Deep Space Nine. Yes, love him. Love him. And what's funny is that, obviously, when I watched this originally, I didn't know who he was, because he, had he hadn't done all these huge roles but I mean, I you know, once I saw him, I mean, I I watched Beauty and the Beast a little bit, so I didn't recognize him in Buffy from Beauty, but I did recognize him from Buffy when I watched DS Nine. Yeah, which he was doing both at the same time he was. for a while. Yeah. yeah. All right. And for our last behind the scenes, uh, it's a real simple one here. Although credited, Laura Woodland, who plays Emily Francisco, does not appear in this episode. I know she's mentioned, but she definitely does not appear in this episode. I love Rita, and she loves me. But how can we tell Edgar? We both adored him. It would have broken his heart. Yeah, it's breaking mine. You guys think of a time or not? We've discussed it. Why? Could make for a happy ending. Edgar's interest in new knit combined with yours. Look, money has nothing to do with this. What about the missing hour and a half? Lee and I were at the Duncamp Hotel. Look, I know how that sounds, but it's the only way that we could be alone, to be together. Can anyone substantiate your um, alibi? The desk clerk. And room service. We had a bottle of champagne. Look, if we killed Eddie, you think we'd be stupid enough to be seen like this? I don't know about stupid, but uh, it sure is tacky. We love each other. 
That's our only crime. And uh, as for interesting newcomer names, uh, we had one in this episode, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, obviously named after Edgar Allan Poe, but they <laughs> wanted to get both words in there all the time. Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe uh, was an American poet and short story writer. His stories usually were of the more macabre uh, sort, such as the Telltale Heart, which um, if you want to guarantee that you're not going to sleep for a few <laughs> weeks, uh, read that story. And The Fall of the House of Usher, uh, which has been made into a movie a bunch of times. My favorite is with Vincent Price, probably not because it's a great movie, but just because it's a really classic like Hammer yeah. um, horror and film. Vincent Price. Um, so those were two of, of Poe's most famous works. Yeah. And, and tell me, because you, you noticed it. I didn't notice it, but they had Alan and Poe. Yeah, hyphenated. Yeah, it's it, well, so it was like a full last name, not it, a middle and a last name. Yeah, because it was there were it was Mr. Allan Poe and Mrs. Allan Poe, and I yeah. I thought that was interesting um, that they would do that. I don't That's true. know. Sure, I guess particular... just because he he if not he been he would have been Edgar Poe, and so Which, make Allen slash Poe make it a double name for a last name, not a middle and a last name. Yeah, so there was no doubt. Yeah, you know, yeah. At any point. That's very really cool. Oh, God, Lee. Don't worry, honey. I'll post bail on this pollution thing and I'll be out tonight. Not if we nail you on murder one. I had nothing to do with Edgar's death. No. Your prospectus claimed that the Department of the Environment gave you a clean bill of health. Clearly, it wasn't deserved. And Poe, being a scientist, would have been the first to discover that. If he intended to go public, that'd be awful bad for business. You had motive, Mr. Smith. Tell them the truth, Lee. We both know you didn't kill Edgar. Okay. Okay, look, um, under the Department of Environment's laboratory conditions, Nunit's byproduct wasn't hazardous. Edgar realized that outside, in the air, mixed with Earth pollutants, Nunit's byproduct was deadly to humans. Like the leak at the factory. You experienced it. Of course I wanted to cover it up. I tried to protect my business, but I didn't kill Edgar. Who else knew about this? Besides myself? Rita. I don't know who else Edgar might have told. Maybe our accountant, Cyril Roman. Okay, let's go. Oh, Lee. Don't. Don't. What about the factory? Shutting it up and all. Do you have to do that? I'll pay the fines, whatever. You have as much to lose as anyone. And your captain. We're shutting it down. You can find Alienation, the newcomer podcast, all over the internet. You can find us on Facebook at... Facebook.com slash Alienation Podcast. And on the Twitters, you can find the show at Alienation Cast. You can find me, Kenny, at Geeky Fanboy. And you can find me, Doug Luberts, on the Twitters at Doug Luberts. Also, if you can give us a review on iTunes, that'd be fantastic. You can just go to iTunes, type in Alienation, the Newcomers Podcast, and our show will pop up, and we would love to get a five-star review. You can also download us or listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, just download the app, and you can listen to us on the go anywhere, anytime. And the main website for the show is alienationpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you guys. Uh, we are finishing up this season. This uh, There's only one season. We, we will be doing the movies next, the TV movies. But in between, I would really love to do a listener comment podcast. So if you want to, go ahead and send your thoughts on season one of Alienation or any particular characters or episodes. We're not really particular. Just anything you love about Alienation, go ahead and send those comments to Alienation podcast at gmail.com once again any comments at all go ahead and send those to alienation podcast at gmail.com all right so i think that's going to do it for this episode i want to thank doug for co-hosting with me i really appreciate it oh uh, thanks it was great being here great so i am kenny and i'm doug but before we go always remember a 68 corvette not better than sex <laughs> so true Good morning, Albert. Is Matthew in yet? Here I am. Here I am. Albert, come here. I got something for you. For me? Yeah, you can come too, just one. <laughs> what a great day, huh? You seem happy, Sergeant Sykes. Uncharacteristically so. I am happy, Albert. Very happy. Because of the car? Sort of, yeah. Is it running well? I wouldn't know. I sold it. Yeah, we have. Yeah. I bought you these, Albert. Thought they'd kind of dress up the city. (laughs) 
10 more trucks like these. You just tell them where you want them. Trees! Yeah, aren't they fine? <laughs> I don't think he likes you at all. <laughs> no, I don't like you either. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes, because it's not much dialogue. And because <clears throat> George Lucas didn't write all the <coughs> dialogue. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast... We would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Attention, attention. Are you a fan of MASH, one of the most groundbreaking television series in history? Then take a listen to the MASH 4077 podcast, where hosts Kenny, Simon, and Al discuss their thoughts episode by episode. They will also share with you some little-known behind-the-scenes information, trivia, and so much more. So come and find them on iTunes by searching MASH 4077 podcast or online at www.mash4077podcast.com. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Rick. And we're the hosts of the Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. We're celebrating the original Battlestar Galactica series, and we're doing that by uh, watching an episode in total and commenting on it as it runs. And you know what's really fun about it is we're attempting to bring guest hosts in with us so that we can talk kind of like that mystery science theater kind of thing. And we sometimes we make a little fun of the episode, and sometimes we talk about how cool it is, so you just never know what you're going to get when you listen. Yes. So come and join us. We're on iTunes. You can find us by searching for Ragtag Fugitive Podcast, and we're on the Stitcher Radio Network. You also can visit our cool website and make comments and have fun looking around in the officer's lounge and all that jazz by going to ragtagfugitivepodcast.com. You have our word as a warrior. Word as a warrior! Plank down your cubits and come on over. And let's play a game of Pyramid, the Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. Alien Nation, the newcomer's podcast, is a geeky fanboy production and has a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, works 3.0, United States license, all rights reserved. The guest cast, uh, Alan, Alan, as EPA, uh, uh, Beverly Lee, the newcomer there, uh, talking in human and, er, human, talking in... (laughs) And probably his most famous character, Quark the Ferengi, Ferengi Barkeep. All right, you can find Alienation Podcast, The Newcomer. Also, if you can give us... Ooh, wow.